Welcome in, everybody. Happy New Year. Did Santa bring you what you wanted? Carlos Correa still waiting. It's episode four of Stone Cold Strohs. Hey, welcome in to Stone Cold Strohs. I'm SportsMap Sports Director Brandon Strange. I'm joined by SportsMap.com editor Josh Jordan and SportsMap Senior Contributor Charlie Polillo. Guys, welcome in. Happy New Year. Yeah, what's up, man? What's going on? You can catch all of us uh, on Twitter, amongst other places. I'm at Brandon Strange. Uh, Josh is at uh, JoshJordan975. And Charlie is at Polillo. So follow us on social media. Also follow at SportsMap HOU, so you can catch all of the latest updates for us. We really do appreciate all the support. We also have a TikTok channel. Can you believe that, of all things? So follow us there. We're getting a little bit of a, of a following there. Guys, welcome in. Lots to go over. There is a ton of stuff to talk about. Not a whole lot of news from uh, the Astros' perspective as far as signings go. I think one of the more interesting topics that has kind of uh, led the charge over the past couple of weeks has been the inactivity uh, we mentioned on the the leadoff there of Carlos Correa. This does kind of make the Astros look a lot better in hindsight, correct? Well, I never thought they looked badly to begin with. The five years, one hundred sixty million that they maxed out at the time was thirty two million dollars per year. That was not chump change. They likely knew it was an offer that Correa wouldn't take. Well, uh, Carlos didn't go out and get $300 million last offseason. If he wanted to banish himself to playing in Detroit, he could have taken the 10 years, $275 million that the Tigers offered. And in the end, all he got, all he got was three years, 105 guaranteed if he was to play it out with the Twins or one year, 35 and, and hit the market. So uh, Jim Crane, as we've discussed here a couple of times, has been very disciplined about not going long-term contracts. And I'd like to know, out of curiosity, it's like the Astros are looking to jump back in on Correa now, uh, were medicals part of their drawing a line in the proverbial sand at five years? Or that's just, we're not going with a contract long, long-term for a guy who's going to sweep through his mid-30s to his late-30s. And already Correa is looking at having to move off shortstop if he's to ultimately wind up with the, the Mets and play third base. Um, so, and when they win the world series immediately after cutting the cord with Correa, I don't think the Astros looked bad. I don't think it was a miserly offer at $32 million per year. Uh, if you want to call it a last laugh for Jim Crane and the Astros, that's fine. Uh, I do wonder when all said and done, how, how forthright uh, Scott Boris and, and team Correa will be, uh, purely as a guess, right? He's had no further right leg injuries since that fracture in the minor leagues all the way back in 2014, I presume there's concern about arthritis or a degenerative condition that makes a 10-year or 12-year contract even more moronic than it would have been to give Correa to begin with. And I, I think about the last time around when Correa hit free agency the first time, we heard reports that, that Boris and the, the team, they, they didn't really want to hand out the medicals. They were real kind of deceptive saying, give us a legitimate offer and then we'll send the medicals over to you. Well, who's going to do that? I'm going <laughs> to offer you something, a, a big contract without looking at the medicals first. Something's always been fishy about that. And now we're kind of finding out it, it's that ankle. People are concerned about it long term. It's just funny. We never really heard about this ankle until this offseason and until the Giants 
took a look and maybe it's because it's uh, regressed something, you know, something with that, that X-ray of the ankle has certainly uh, raised a red flag for them. I think it's, it's just, we've, we've focused mainly on that lower back and that's always been the, the red flag for, I think the Astros and fans. It's just been because that's, that's one of those things when, uh, when your back goes, everything goes with it. It also would be a concern for someone who's a power hitter if they were to lose power in one of their legs, if, if, if that uh, angle's not right. And obviously there's a lot of inferences that can be made off of what's being seen in that x-ray. I, I think not the least of which is arthritis. And, and we're, when we're talking about contracts that are as long as these are, obviously there's always a risk on the back end because of how all these players are. And, you know, you don't see a lot of players playing into their, their forties. And so when you're talking about a guy who's already had issues staying healthy on the field uh, to this point, and you add another 10 years onto that where you'd assume the heavier part of that contract would be mount. Now, granted, maybe it's relative to what you're paying people in that era, 10 years from now, maybe the back end of that contract doesn't look as punitive as it looks right now. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where I think it is the implications of about you're complicating what's already going to be a complicated situation, which is adding 10 years onto a player, putting them in their forties. And you've already seen, you're already seeing red flags on their medicals. That is that, that's scary when you're signing on the dotted line for a lot. And I, I think one thing to keep in mind too, is it's one thing to say, okay, the giants see red flags and, and they don't want to commit, but it's a whole other thing when the Mets and as you've called him, Charlie, daddy Warbucks, when even he has apprehension to sign that big check for uh, this player, then it really does seem like there's something to that. Look, all these mega length contracts of this offseason, Bogarts and, and Turner and those in the past from Pujols to Cano to Miguel Cabrera, who's on fumes in the last several years, and finally the, the final of his 12-year extension, whatever it was he signed with the Tigers at the time. Uh, unless you're viewing the back half of the deal as, as sunk costs, lost money, that, okay, we're really viewing it as a six-year contract for all this money, and we'll amortize it, and inflation and revenues will increase. And so today's $30 million is only $20 million 10 years from now. Uh, but Correa specifically, right, he's not a superstar offensive player. He's had one season in the major leagues where he performed at a superstar level offensively. And that was 2017 when, if he didn't go down injured, he would have been right there with Altuve in the MVP race. And how would their career narratives have gone forward from, from that point? Uh, Correa certainly had multiple good seasons. He's also had a couple extremely mediocre seasons along the way, but the last two have been good. But for instance, this past year, offensively, he was nowhere close to as good as Altuve. He's a very good offensive player. Correa grades up because he does it as a shortstop. The premium defensive position in the infield and, and up the middle. And obviously it takes more physical adeptness to master shortstop than second base. Right, Equate Correa's arm to Altuve's arm. Um, now the Mets, they just didn't care in terms of their budget. Ten years at $312 million, Cohen was going to say, well, okay, this is where I'm drawing a line. But they were fine moving into third base and paying superstar money for very good offensive numbers at third base in conjunction with all their other spending. But for the Giants and other clubs, if they're thinking that leg's going to deteriorate and he has to move off a shortstop, now Carlos Correa, for instance, not close. Last, not close to Alex Bregman as an offensive player. Not close to Rafael Devers. Not close to what Manny Machado did with the Padres last year. He's not a superstar offensive player. 
So once his decline starts defensively, if that ankle was completely fine and no one had the willies about the physical, he's a big guy who would not project to age well defensively into his mid-30s. So if he's going to move off to third base or first base or corner outfield, his value diminishes since he does not mash with the great offensive players of the game. I don't care what kind of binder Scott Boris can manipulate the numbers to, to make his case, and he's great at doing his job. But Carlos Correa is not a superstar offensive player, hasn't been in five years, and it's unlikely that he grows into one in his 30s. So if he's not playing shortstop, his value, down. Yeah, no doubt. I wonder if we might see some movement on this. I, I saw today Correa put something on social media, one of his kids wearing a I Love New York shirt. Correa was always good at kind of getting the, the media in Houston kind of behind him, especially after the scandal. So he's kind of playing that PR game with New York. I think that's pretty smart. And, and maybe something is about to come down, and that's why he put it out there. So we'll just have to wait and see. But it's been really interesting to see how this plays out. I don't think anyone really believes he's not going to wind up with the Mets at this point. And uh, you mentioned TikTok earlier. I'll go with the traditional TikTok. Correa turns 29 in September. So another year goes by, even if he has a good year, that's not going to stoke the market, at least for sane people. Well, plenty of insane owners spending money uh, to go 10, 12 years when the guy's knocking on the door of 30. On the other hand, Bogarts is there. Trey Turner's closing in on it. Uh, but again, Turner's game should age better in the near term. Uh, the Padres are just throwing it all in there, their version of the, the Mets at this point. Um, so, you know, other than the, the scoreboard and for Scott Boris, his, his agent's commission, uh, Correa is going to turn out all right. If he, if he takes another one-year pillow contract for $35 million and, well, I'll try the market again next year, that's still banking a good chunk of another $35 million minus Boris's cut and Uncle Sam, et cetera, et cetera. But it really looked like the pivot was going to be, uh, if not his wildest dream come true, one of them. Right When the Giants got cold feet and the Mets jump in, the Giants aren't a contender. Carlos Correa, was, he was all dressed up in his $5,000 suit, ready for the press conference. Was he going to sit there and say, I picked the Giants because this is a team that's going to contend every year. Uh, they're in the division with the Dodgers and the Padres. Okay, the Mets are in a division with the Braves and the Phillies. But the Mets were a 101 team. The Giants were 81 and 81 as their pratfall follow-up to the 107 sold their soul to the devil year of 2021. So Correa, you know, have your cake and eat it too. It's going to get the mega contract. Okay, it was only going to be worth 25 and a half million per year, whatever it would have worked out um, with the Giants. Well, a couple of years shorter, average value was going to go up and he was going to go to a team that figures to be a perennial contender just because of the way Steve Cohen's going to spend money. So... Uh, however they adjust it or put in a qualifier, well, if that ankle gives out, then this amount of the money is not guaranteed going forward because who's going to jump in bidding at anywhere near $300 million on Carlos Correa at this point? Answer, nobody. Right? Teams have either blown through their budgets or other teams are going to be saying, well, my God, if, if Cohen wouldn't be paying the money, how are we going to justify paying? Uh, if you're an Astros fan, just hope that the Seattle Mariners don't get a wild hair and say, you know what, we'll take a leap of faith and add one more bat to our lineup that can still use a hitter if we really think we're going to run down the Astros in the American League West. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to hear that. I, it, I mean, I do think it's funny when we talk about, you know, these guys talking you know, talking about how, oh, I, I want to win. It's, it's about winning. I mean, DeGrom went to Texas and said it was about winning. So they, they'll say anything at these press conferences. What's interesting, I think, is speaking of Houston favorites that don't currently have contracts – 
One of the topics that Ken Hoffman wrote about, I believe it was last week, I don't know, we, we missed a week of work. Todd Callis, Julie Morales, and Jeff Blum are un, currently unsigned uh, from the broadcast crew right now. We normally don't really talk about kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And to be perfectly fair, we don't really have a, a ton of insight uh, into this behind the scenes because it's been all quiet on the Western front. But what we've been led to believe is the broadcast crew themselves are, are kind of just dangling in the wind and haven't really heard much. I don't know that this really affects people that are watching the product, but I do think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of chatter about it on social media from Astros fans are, if, if they do make, if Jim Crane makes a move here, does, does do we see any real backlash? I, I think just how it's handled so far hasn't been necessarily the greatest PR tactics. In the full disclosure moment of the program, I know Todd Cowles, 35 years, uh, good friend. So just wanted to get that in there. Uh, but until this plays out, it's something specifically I would not ask him uh, about whether they're really sweating it out or they're just curious. I, I think the, Jim Crane likes his people uncomfortable. You know, whether it's a, a little bit power trippy or I'll, I'll get to it when I tell you I'll get to it. Uh, there would be backlash, um, right? That trio... Uh, linked up just as the Astros became a juggernaut. The better the team is generally, the more popular the broadcasters are, especially when they're not established as a, as a team's broadcaster. Because, well, everyone's in a good mood. We're going to watch the Astros probably win again tonight and the broadcasters, and it's a good time and the chemistry's there and, and all that. Uh, I mean, it would blow over. Um, you'd think overall, this is, this is penny-ante stuff for Jim Crane and the overall budget. Of course, if you're one of the individual broadcasters, this is your your livelihood, and you know you can negotiate years on your contract as as well as money and 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 anything else. Um, you know we're kind of late in the game. We're happily just over a, a month from the doors getting thrown open to spring training. There's not a spring training telecast until last weekend of February, the first couple of days of March. Well, it's unusual for a major league baseball team to not have its broadcast lineup set once you get into the new year um you know unless one of jim crane's sons decides hey uh, dad can can i try that tv play-by-play thing uh, that would that would be off-putting um so I'm, I'm gonna guess that it it sorts itself out anything that's a negotiation i guess can have some stickiness to it but it would be a surprise and, and there would certainly be backlash i mean not that everyone loves the broadcast team just because no one has 100 customer satisfaction but i think they're generally well regarded and it would seem an unnecessary rock the boat, you know, unless Jim Crane's to say, uh, I want Al Michaels to call my team's games, you know, or something crazy like that, that you were going to go. Joe Buck would do a local team's baseball games. No, just kidding. Astros fans. Um, so I would, I'm not going to presume I'm going to guess that, that all three are back, but, but it is curious as the calendar turns into the new year. And I will say, if you know, in the end, you're going to, keep the broadcasters, uh, why make them have to nibble on fingernails at all over the holidays? My first thought is I, I love this broadcast team. I'd love to see him stay, but I also look back at, you know, Bill Brown and Jim Deshays. I thought they did a great job. And when, with that ended, I was like, how will they ever replace that? And they did. I think the other thing is just an overall changing of the guard a little bit. If you see them move on from the broadcast team, you see them move on from Justin Verlander, you see them move on from Yuli. That's a lot of, Familiar faces going out the door one year after a World Series. You know, with the broadcast team, you're not going to have to pay them crazy, crazy millions and millions of dollars like you would a player. So 
I think I just kind of make, make it work, you know, make everything a little more cohesive for next year that the fans seem to love what they do on the broadcast. And do we really need more change for the sake of change? I don't think so. I'd like to see them bring them back. I'd like to see them bring Yuli back too. I just, I don't think Yuli's going to want to accept uh, the role that he would have here and the, the contract he would have here. I think it too, you have to look at it from Jim Crane's perspective, which is one of he's not afraid of change. And if he were sentimental or were afraid of that, then we'd still have George Springer here, or you'd still have you know, any number of moves. I don't want to you know, relitigate the list of people who've walked, but he's clearly not afraid of making wholesale changes. And even you know, in the wake of the sign stealing scandal, he cleaned house outside the scouting department. He, he wouldn't, he wasn't crazy, but he also wasn't afraid of removing the GM that helped build a juggernaut of a team that's now been to the ALCS six times in a row and the world series uh, four times in those, in that same span. So it's, it's one of those things where some people are just driven and maybe he may be just looking, we, we look at it, we go, it's fine. But maybe he looks at it and says, fine's not good enough. Maybe he wants the best. And we see that tends to be his MO is to be the best at everything. And maybe that's just what he wants is maybe he feels like uh, there can be a better combo or it could be a case of, like Charlie said, you just make him sweat a little bit. But you'd hate to say that. And like you said, if if you're going to make a move, and why make them sweat over the holidays? Again, easy me, easy for me and for us to spend other people's money, but they seem like nice enough folks, and you feel like uh, you should let them know one way or the other. Yeah, without knowing if there's something else lurking, personality conflict. Maybe Jeff Blum wants to triple his salary. I, who knows? But Charlie says Blummer hired Boris once 20 years. (laughs) Generally speaking, if you're going to move on from broadcasters and you're not trying to do damage to them, you make the change very quickly after the season is over so they can pursue jobs elsewhere. Right. Whereas if you're trying to latch on with a major league baseball team now, good luck. I mean, the Cardinals have an opening because their longtime TV guy got a third DUI arrest and he needs to reconfigure life and so forth. You know, they don't work any playoff games. So their work was done October 6th or whatever the last day of the regular season was. If in January, it turns out you're going to, there's a, uh, you guys know the, the late Paul Harvey who made a living out of the rest of the story. You know, unless there's a rest of the story. Well, this is kind of a dead point in terms of personnel moves. I don't think Jim Crane's crafting something that'll still have Astros conversation locally buzzing over something like this, but maybe that's just how it works out and they're all squared away before spring training opens. You know, it just occurred to me quickly, Brandon, you talking about he doesn't fear change. I remember back, I mean, they changed the uniforms, which I like the uniforms a lot better now that they changed to. Remember, there was even, they were talking about renaming the Astros. That was up in the air when the team changed hands. So clearly Jim Crane's, He's willing to try all kinds of different things. And by the way, Charlie, I was more of an Art Bell fan myself. But while we're on the the topic of uh, guys who are under contract, MLB.com had some AL award uh, predictions. And for Cy Young, they they are predicting or projecting Christian Javier in the AL to capture the Cy Young. And now, granted, that would be the most asterisk thing ever is if they let the current Cy Young walk just to have 
the next Cy Young be already on their staff and to be under team control for the next three years under a, a very minimum contract. That's that's the most asterisk thing ever. Uh, we saw John Morosi kind of teasing the possibility of maybe Fromber uh, and Christian Javier could be signed uh, before the, the season starts. Charlie, first of all, where do you see I, I think I think that's one of the more out there projections. I mean, it's it's not crazy, crazy, obviously, because of the stuff that Christian Javier has. But that's a pretty bold projection that the AL Cy Young would be uh, Christian Javier. And then what do you think the chances that maybe they get uh, uh, a guy locked down, a guy like that locked down before he becomes incredibly expensive? Uh, you know, it, it's fun to not go chalk. Not that there's a chalk prediction for American League Cy Young Award. Uh, but I would think that uh, if an Astros to win it in 2023 and you put it to a vote, which Astro will it be? From Valdez would probably win over Christian Javier. I think one thing that would work against Javier, presuming he's in the rotation full-time from the start of the season, they'll be mindful of his innings workload, right? that this would be the first season he's asked to take on a starter's workload. I don't think they'd be wanting to push him all the way to 180, 200 innings, whereas Frommer's now established right? through 201 innings this past season. Uh, ERA of 282. If he has uh, another modest leap in his game, that's the kind of stuff that can get in contention. Uh, but Javier's so electric. Um, I mean, he has he has the the best package of stuff, including at least no track record of injury at the major league level, as opposed to McCullers. Um, so it'd be wonderful for uh, for the Astros uh, and Christian Javier, who's now in the salary arbitration phase of his career Astros control him for three more years they control Framber Valdez for three more years they control Luis Garcia four more years Lance McCullers four more years he's in year two of the five-year extension uh Jose Arquiti three more years so if the Astros think they're getting terrific value on Javier and you want to buy out arbitration years and a uh, free agency year or two great but I think you'd be mindful of what we give Javier this much. What is Fromber? Right, right now, Fromber, quote-unquote, deserves more. He's the much more accomplished major league pitcher. Uh, Fromber's also already 28 years old. Javier is, is 25. Um, but in the case of Fromber, you know, if you think the money's fair and right, and but I wouldn't balk at going five years on Fromber Valdez. I wouldn't want to go seven with, with any pitcher, frankly. Um, so either or both, uh, something for John Morosi to uh, float out there. Uh, but again, they're both three years away from potential free agency. I would probably, unless I think I'm getting a steal of a deal, a Jordan-level deal for the Astros, uh, let's see Javier go a full inning at a, a starting pitcher's workload, and, and then we can talk about the, the, the multi-year contract. I'm with you, Charlie. I'd like to see it one more year out of Javier. Fromber, I'd be fine if they did the deal, but it's got to be a kind of a team-friendly-ish deal. Astros aren't paying top of the market if you still have years left on your deal and team control. McCullers so, got five years, $85 million. Fromber right. Valdez right now is a better pitcher and a better bet than McCullers was when he got the extension. So five years, $100 million? Fromber say, okay, I'm three years away from free agency. This year, he probably projects seven, eight million in arbitration. A good year, he probably jumps to 13, 15 million. A third year, maybe he's a 20 million dollar pitcher then. So I know I said there would be no math, but if we go seven years, 13, seven, 13, 20, 
well, it's 40 million for three years. Well, I'll be two more years at 60 million tacked on top of that to get you to five years, 100 million. So I think you're insulting Framber Valdez if you, if you run that offer by him. And then it's up to him and his uh, rep- representation to say, okay, $100 million. All right, that's the number Alex Bregman wanted, right? $100 million. I'm a centillionaire, at least in, in the gross. When he took his five-year deal, well, that's now three years ago. Uh, price of poker only goes up. We've seen what the overall market has done this offseason. Um, but if I was to do a five-year contract with one of the two, unless Fromber's asking for $10 million more per year than, than Javier, uh, I would place my chip on on Fromber in terms of contract value and duration. Yeah, and you could see a lot of contracts pile up if you do wait, because two years from now, Altuve and Bregman are free agents, and then three years from now, you'd have Javier Fromber Valdez coming up. That's a lot of guys to pay within you know a couple seasons of one another. The Mariners gave Luis Castillo five years, one hundred eight, one hundred eight and a half, something like that million after acquiring him and, and re-upping him. They gave Robbie Ray off his Cy Young season uh, a year ago, five years, $113 million. Now, of course, Ray was a free agent. Castillo was another year away from free agency. Fromber and Javier, they're three years away. That's certainly a relevant dynamic in negotiations. I would personally feel bad for Fromber uh, to be the Cy Young bridesmaid uh, again. And for Javier, as far as him being in that conversation, I'd love to say he's going to be in the conversation competing for a Cy Young. That'd be fantastic. I'd also love the prospect of extending him. I'd feel better about both of those scenarios and the realism of both of those scenarios after I've seen him pitch for another full season. It's easy to look at and and have this, you know, um, recency bias and say, hey, Javier pitched the best out of all the starters in the postseason, you know, Fromber notwithstanding. But you could also argue who was the most well-rested because he was used the most inconsistently throughout the year, whether it was coming out of the bullpen or being at the back end of a six-man rotation. So we really do need to see what Christian Javier looks like over the entirety of a season. Now, granted, the price of poker may increase if he does have a full season and then is let's say a Cy Young candidate, even if he doesn't win it, if he's just a candidate, then obviously the numbers go up. You would be much easier to lock him into a team favorable deal right now. But I don't really know that that's really on the radar until we see a full season of what he can do at starter. It won't be soon enough. I'm, I'm, and I know Josh is the, uh, the president of the Javier fan club will attest love him like to, a son, Brandon, like a yeah. son. We've been waiting for it. It'll be it'll be a welcome sight to see Javier get real meaningful a uh, real meaningful spot in the rotation where he doesn't get bumped out by the fourth and fifth starters. And you know, we hopefully by the end of the year we will have a full book to judge Javier off of. And hopefully, we're saying the same thing about Hunter Brown this year, the end of this season, that we said about. Christian Javier at the end of last season, which is this guy needs more time and we want to see him more. Speaking of... Let me just throw in one more quick point in terms of timing and contracts and how far you are from free agency. Hector Neris will make more money this year unless Fromber comes in at a higher arbitration figure than than I'm anticipating. If he gets $9 million, it's not crazy, but he projects a little lower than that. Uh, Neris is $8.5 million, right? McCullers is at seventeen. Other than that, you, know, you have Fromber at seven, eight million, and you work down from there. Right? Or Keedy's a three million dollar pitcher. 
Uh, Javier would be an interesting hearing case if they don't settle, but he's probably a $3 million pitcher. Uh, uh, Luis Garcia isn't even arbitration eligible yet. Hunter Brown obviously is not. So, you know, you have Naris making more, Montero making more, Presley making more than four-fifths of your starting rotation. Collectively, the Astros' bullpen will make more than 50% more than the entire Astros' starting rotation. Speaking of predictions and projections, Josh brought this to my attention. I had not seen this, but Bleacher Report uh, listed out mm. the their rankings of the front offices of the MLB. They list... Uh, Astros as last and 30th. Now juxtapose that. What's the with, category? <laughs> the the category is front offices. And uh, okay. I, I, yeah, the strength of front offices. And they also list, now, now let's look at this. Let's compare this to MLB.com, who their power rankings project as a team, the Astros starting out at number one. Obviously that makes more sense because they are the defending champions. So, uh, guys, let's. I don't want to give too much credence to something that's clearly just clickbait, and I think clearly speaks to more of what the Astros' reputation is with those who want it to be that. But this is this, how do you juxtapose this? You've got one one article saying the Astros have the worst front office in baseball, and MLB.com going. And by the way, we project they'll field the best team uh, going into the season. Well, there is no logical juxtaposition point to be made about that. That's uh, just saying the Astros don't have a general manager who's the point person in a baseball front office, Jim Crane acting, Jeff Bagwell semi-acting. That, that has to be it. Whether, whether whoever the right, I don't go to Bleacher Report for baseball stuff, apologies. Um, <laughs> that, that it's a shot at the way Crane treated James Click. But, you know, it's not as if chaos has ensued this offseason. They added Abreu, they retained Montero, retained Brantley, irrespective of what you think the, the prices were. Um, it's not like they're running around with uh, chickens with their, their heads lopped off. How are we going to field a team this year? We only have three starting pitchers. We don't have a shortstop. We only have two outfielders. Uh, so that's just straight silliness. Obviously, the power rankings make a lot more sense. You sure that other list wasn't ranking teams in order of least likely to go to the World Series? <laughs> <laughs> I need to double check that. I mean, it, it's pretty silly. It's very biased what they're doing here. And, you know, basically they take a shot. They don't like the Montero signing. They think Abreu's old. They don't like that signing either. They don't even mention Michael Brantley in the article as being brought back. So, but they give all this love to the Yankees who are in the top 10 with Brian Cashman, them getting swept and they bring him back. And act like he's doing this terrific job. Like, oh, well, the Yankees don't spin like they used to. But on the other side of their mouth, they're like, yeah, but they still spin pretty much the most out of almost every team every year. You know, they, they give all this credit for improving the Yankees when really, you know, the one signing, you know, bringing in Rodon was the only thing to up the ante for them. They were just kind of keeping what they had. And the Yankees are there and the Astros are dead last in front office. So, and this kind of speaks to the, the, the broadcaster conversation we had a little earlier, more of Jim Crane just kind of acting in a way that is off-putting to some people. And, you know, they're going to, there'll be some hit pieces about it. And this is one of them. This goes back to a lot of the pre-existing feelings about the Astros. We can trace it back to Brandon Taubman. We can trace it back to the contentious 
relationship that Jeff Luna had at times with the media, uh, Brandon Taubin being one of those. And, and for those who don't remember, the Astros PR had basically denied that incident happened or certainly downplayed it up until the point in which there was corroborating witnesses that said, including other men. Disgrace. But that is not yeah. The, yeah. the job of the front office is yeah. how good is your baseball team? Right. So look at the pennants, look at the flags, kiss their rings. To rank them dead last, it's it's either personal to Jim Crane or I don't know if they listed criteria for how we're ranking them. If you don't have an official general manager, you get a zero. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise it's just stupid. Well, that might that might certainly could be part of it is the fact that there is a lack of having an, a specific person as the general manager. But again, I, th- I think it's just about, a, you know, how are you handling your business? That's subjective. And we live in a time in which being the contrarian, you get rewarded. Uh, you say something stupid. You win a stupid prize. But, and, you know, those prizes are clicks. Uh, we we play in that same game. We try to play it a little bit differently. We try to be a little bit more level-headed. I mean, Skip Bayless, anybody? You can make a living saying the things that are stupid. And this is stupid. This is stupid to, to rate the Astros front office last. Okay, James Click's gone. This is not, Jim Crane did not clean house. He didn't fire everyone. He got, he parted ways with a person who he's had in that position for three years, who there is clearly just philosophical differences. He's moved on. It hasn't prevented them from making free agency signings. They were one of the first ones out of the gates. They, they you know, were able to lock up one of their main targets and abray you immediately. I just think the proof is in the pudding, as the saying goes. And the Astros have been serving up some pretty tasty treats over the past six seasons. Now, it's tasty to, from the perspective of Houston fans. But for the rest of the league, you're looking to poke holes in it. You're looking for any reason why this team might take a step back. This just looks like another one of those things where it just looks like it's a reach. And you can you can say what you want to, but the thing that I put the more credence into, which is the projection of who's going to be the best team that takes the field – in week one of the MLB season. And that does look like it's going to be the Astros. Forrest Gump's mother said it aptly. Stupid is as stupid does. The Astros front office 30th right now. It's stupid if it's clickbaity or it's just straight up stupid. Or in the fine print, if you don't have a general manager, you immediately go to the bottom of the pile. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. But you can still raise your World Series flag. You can. Let's talk about some of the decisions this team has made. And sometimes they make bold decisions. And one bold decision that's out there that we've seen bandied about on Twitter has been uh, the Astros and the possibility of them taking a run at Trevor Bauer. Now, we know uh, Trevor Bauer has is officially being reinstated. We still have to figure out what's going to happen with him and his current contract. We'll see how that plays out, but he will be a free agent. It looks like we've seen some sentiment. I I, want to give credit where it's due. I think it was the Apollo guys who were, who I, where I first started seeing this conversation on Twitter, uh, take traction. They were saying, Hey, we're, we're already, and we being Houston, we're already, the bad guys, like why not just embrace it? But Bauer is just a whole different level, right? And it does, does it even make sense, I guess, from a pitching standpoint and what kind of negative backlash you talk about letting TK and, and Julia go like this would have some real Brandon Taubman on steroid type of, of ramifications, right? 
Uh, first off, I guess qualified kudos to the clever little photoshopping devil who Trevor Bowered up there. And oh, can we? Uh, yeah, we'll give a shout out to Jack Bream. That's our own Jack Bream who uh, put. Right, now get that off our screen screen. forever. <laughs> um, look, the Astros, Astros fans, don't go be playing any holier than thou card, right? They they jumped on Roberto Asuna as a distressed asset when uh, he was suspended from the. The Blue Jays. Um, but I think Bauer, you know, we're several years later. Culturally, I think it's a different time. Um, even though no criminal charges came of it, um, the level of depravity, the, the, the publicness uh, of, the, of the charges, um, I just don't see why the, the Astros need to go there. They don't have room for Hunter Brown in their rotation right now. At the minimum salary, he's their number six starter. Um, if I get into the season and I'm having issues, right, that sliding scale of what will you do, necessity is the mother of invention, desperate times, desperate measures. Uh, but Bauer's good. right? He won the Cy Young with the Reds in the shortened COVID season of 2020. He was pitching just fine for the Dodgers before it all imploded in 2021. He's 31 years old. He's always had that unique taking care of his arm regimen, so one would presume he's in good health and can can build back up. Um, you know, nature of, of forgiveness and second chances. If I'm the Astros, am I thinking, well, what if the Angels pick him up and, geez, the way they've added to their lineup and acquired a couple of pitchers, and what if he's really good? And um, I wouldn't say they're selling their soul to the devil if they they sign Trevor Bauer, but not me, not now. If I'm the Astros with him, yeah, I, I don't think that's the move. And he's I'd just make a jerk, you. right? If we if we take the criminal charges off the table, um, maybe he's matured and chastened and, and changed and all that. Um, and a starting pitcher who goes every five days isn't as integral to the fiber of the clubhouse, right? Verlander disappeared basically the whole year while he was recovering from Tommy John and fit right back in once he, once he got back with the ball club. Um, I just, uh, why hold your nose and add Trevor Bauer if you're the Astros at this point? Yeah, you're upsetting an apple like- cart that needs no upsetting. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a crane type move. You know, we've heard reports that he didn't even want to wear his 2017 championship ring. And he's trying to, you know, get the uh, the PR, the the view of the team to a higher standard. You know, just watching the World Series. I mean, every 20 minutes would go by and they'd bring up the cheating scandal again. Another 20 minutes would go by. Even when we got to game six, they were still after it was over. We had broadcasters telling us it was OK to cheer for the Astros. Well, does he yeah. regret trading for Roberto Osuna? Right. Well, and but if you bring in Bauer, are you going to have that conversation when he pitches every fifth day? That, that you know, when we're having all these ESPN games at the broadcasters, every time he takes the mound, they have to go under the here's what happened with him. And I don't think they want that. But it's funny you bring up the Osuna thing, Charlie, because in my opinion, I think Jim Crane had to give the okay for that. He's the owner, you know, even if it's Jeff Luno back then. You know, bringing in a guy that's being suspected or having possible charges about you know, domestic violence, that type of thing. I have to think that that crossed Jim Crane's desk when they made that Osuna decision. So we have to see that Crane's been okay with this type of behavior before. The Dodgers have till Friday to make the call on Bauer. I think it's like 22 and a half million bucks. They got to decide if if they want to keep him or release him. And then other teams can get involved as well. But we'll see what the Dodgers do. It's up to them. I know that there was talks about them bringing in Aroldis Chapman 
And then the domestic abuse rumors kind of started coming up and they, they backed away that they lost interest after that. So it would also be interesting to see how the Dodgers, you know, decide to deal with this. Mr. Corona had an interesting comment. I'll bring it back up on the screen here, which was that does Dusty Baker even allow Bauer to come here and uh, allow maybe a strong word, but we obviously know Dusty has influence into, you know, how the roster is being built and, and trades and things like that. Remember, I remember Dusty talking about uh, when they threw at uh, a guy last, last season and then they kind of went on a skid after that. And he said, well, you know, you kind of bring that on yourself when you act bad, you know, you get kind of bad energy. And, and I do wonder like, again, and we're not trying to relitigate what did or didn't happen. And cause I've seen some comments here about Bauer didn't do anything. We're, we're not even getting into that. Like what we're just talking about is just the perception and the PR side of it. That's an S storm that the Astros want really no part of at the end of the day. I've seen a lot of comments that echo what my sentiment is, which is you're trying to clean up your, the perception of your team not trying to muddy it with with more you know scandal. I do wonder he's he's hanging out there and one of the um the other thoughts was well the Rangers have certainly been bolstering their roster over this offseason. You know, we saw them uh recently add Uvaldi or Evaldi, excuse me. If they added a, a Trevor Bauer to the mix in addition to you know, DeGrom and, and, and going back to, you know, uh, Seager. At what point should we start taking the Texas Rangers seriously if they if they do put at, at a guy like Bauer to their roster? They'd be stacking hypotheticals. They'd need, you know, cherry, cherry, cherry on the, on the slot machine for it all to click into place. But if DeGrom can give them 25 good starts and be healthy down the stretch of the season, uh, if Martin Perez, who was fantastic, way better than he'd ever been, if this is the new and improved and sustainable Martin Perez in his in his early 30s, uh, if either of their two high draft pick pitchers the last couple of years, Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker, can become a factor in the in the second half of the season, um, and if you get say in between Reds Bauer and, and Dodgers Bauer, that's a big boost. Maybe you're the Astros and you were told Bauer's going to pitch 150 innings with an ERA of three. Now, how much would that change your opinion of? Okay, we'll take him because in addition to giving us one more depth option, it means he's not going to the Rangers or to the the Angels. So, you know, I, how much of a moral dilemma is it versus a, a baseball decision? Um, but the the Rangers would be certainly increasing their upside potential if they were to, to add a Trevor Bauer uh, or, and I don't know what Bauer especially – get $22 million from the, from the Dodgers, even if they part ways. Uh, so maybe it's a minimal inv- investment. And if you're the Rangers desperate with all the money you've, you've dropped, Semyon and Seager and, and DeGrom, uh, John Gray, another picture and in their rotational mix. Um, and they're, they're, they're so desperate to matter for the first time since they opened the new ballpark for the first time in six, seven years now. Um, I'd say, well, good luck with them. We're still going to beat you. You know, if we're the Astros, that would be my tack. I wonder how the Deshaun Watson situation factors in because it's Houston. Astros got a good look at that up close and personal, how that went down with the Texans and Deshaun. You know, I I wonder if they don't want any of that Texans stink on them. They don't want to do anything that would remind people that the Astros are in a similar way to the Texans. I don't think they go near this. And we've heard that 
Trevor Bauer's a tough guy to get along with, you know, him and Garrett Cole that apparently they didn't get, get along back in college. So, you know, why, why mess with this great chemistry in this locker room? I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. I think it's about perspective. And I think that that's a move for a team that is going to be desperate or a, a team that really needs to, you know, that's trying to put the product over the finish line. Whereas the Astros, you're coming off of a, a championship year. You just don't feel like you're in desperation mode to do that. And again, going back to what I said at the beginning is I do feel like Dusty's a vibe guy. And I think bringing that into the locker room, a guy who's had some really, you know, off-putting things to say about the Astros specifically. And, you know, you're, you're inviting that into the locker room. Uh, we had a comment here said I, that he thinks uh, Bauer and uh, Lance McCullers would get into a fight on day one. I don't know if it's quite that dramatic, but you do have to think like there's going to be some guys that don't necessarily love, uh, you know, that, that being brought into the locker room. That being said, we thought the same thing about Correa uh, being brought into uh, New York because of the history between Verlander and Correa and the, the first pitch that wasn't from uh, the playoffs from a couple years ago. And there was a thought of, oh, well, no way would, would Verlander want the Mets to sign Correa. No way would Correa want to go play on a team with Verlander again. Guess what? How many millions? Right, yeah. right. And I do want, I forgot to, to point this out. There's been this conversation going on about Correa specifically about how, uh, oh, if Correa moves to third base, he's devaluing himself as a player. Are you serious? A guy that was about, you know, was trying to ink a $300 million deal. Like that doesn't devalue him as a player that solidifies his, your value is what someone's willing to pay you. What devalues you is that damn ankle. Now that is a thing that will devalue you. So if you want to have that conversation, that's perfectly fine. But getting into this, this debate about him moving away from the more valuable position, that's all subjective thing to talk about because, at the end of the day, his value, what he's aiming for is a long, big payday. And Grant, the, the thing that's standing him between him and that long payday right now is his health, which is something that we've always projected would be the issue. What's not standing in the way is him being a shortstop or not being a shortstop. So I, I think that that's a silly thing. And I know that's little bit of a tangent, but I, I meant to bring it up earlier when we were talking. Well, about Alex that. Rodriguez wasn't exactly devalued when, while a much better defensive shortstop than Derek Jeter at the point the Yankees made the trade, uh, Aaron had to go to third. He wanted to go to New York. He had to make that move. And uh, Lindor is not that kind of obviously superior defensive shortstop relative to Correa, but the power of incumbency. So Lindor wasn't moving to third, right? If Correa's going to wind up with the Mets, it's Correa who, who goes to third. Uh, the Orioles moved Manny Machado off shortstop to third base years ago. And years later, he got 10 years, $300 million. So there's your value as a ball player versus the contract value. And if you're Correa right now, it's the contract value. Right? If he wants to be a Hall of Fame shortstop, well, then he's not signing with the Mets. But he wants the, the mega, mega contract, and, and that's fine. If that contract is taking you to the end of your career, then what do you care how people value right. positionally? I mean, if this is the last contract you're ever going to sign, I, I don't, I don't get it either. This is the generational payday for him. This is what he's worked his entire career for. 
Um, he has again, a second baby on the way. This is a financially desperate man. He's yes. hurting. And he needs, he needs that Dior. You know what I mean? He needs that Dior money. He can't be messing around with the Calvin Klein money. He's got a, it's, it's Dior and Balenciaga for him. Although he may want to steer away from the Balenciaga right now. I, we've had some comments. People kind of want us to this, this news broke while we were on, but it's not really news. Uh, Astros acquired outfielder Bly Madras or Madris. Uh, from the Tigers in exchange for cash and considerations. This isn't really a big deal, but I just wanted to acknowledge it. it adds to your organizational depth, but not necessarily something that's going to uh, blow anyone away. Yes, any guy you acquire for cash considerations is not a meaningful prospect. Yeah. I, personally, I prefer the cash considerations myself, but that's that's just me. Uh, gents, we have reached the end of the broadcast in which we like to do our bottom line question of the week. And I was inspired by this question over the past week, seeing a ton of replays. MLB has been replaying at Fox Sports. Like they've just been playing the Jordan home runs on loop. I can never be reminded too many times that the Astros are the reigning champs. It reminded me of 2019. And I can only bring that up now because it's not nearly as raw now that the Astros are the reigning champs. I don't have to worry about bringing up 2019 as a sore spot for anyone. You should be over it by now. After 2019, we could not hear enough about Juan Soto. And I say that in the third person. I could certainly hear enough about Juan Soto. But uh, Juan Soto was just the, the next big it thing. Now, with the postseason behind us and Jordan's three-run bomb heard round of the world, uh, is Jordan the new Juan Soto? Well, he's 25, so there's not the idea that this is a 20-year-old wunderkind, the next Ted Williams, maybe. Uh, but what Jordan is, is as great an offensive force as there is in the game now, because I want to say Aaron Judge's season was a fluke, but no one thinks... He's going to duplicate 311-62 batting average home runs. He's hit 285, I think, in only one other season. And Judge also has his injury history. He never hit 50 other than the rookie season. Um, but I digress. Uh, you know what Jordan would need a little bit? You know, to be a face of the game type guy. He, he needs to learn a little bit of English. Mm. A little bit of English so you can display a little bit of charisma and and fun and interviewing and, and marketing and it's a challenge for baseball and has been for a long time the individual stars don't sell the game the way they do in the nba or the way quarterbacks and the mega stars uh, do in, in in the nfl because as great as jordan is he's getting in the batter's box four or five times per night you know much lower percentage than the best players handle the ball in basketball the quarterbacks taking a snap every offensive play in in, in football um so you know, I, I don't think Jordan's going to be any sort of national phenomenon, but that's okay because if you're an Astros fan, it's not like he's your little secret. He's a beast who you control now for another six years, and Jordan at 25 years of age is is no geezer. Um, you know, if those knees hold, does he accelerate a Hall of Fame arc to his career? Uh, because right, if he is. 10 years of studliness to come, well, then he's going to be in the Cooperstown conversation if we're doing this in the mid-2030s, late-2030s, or conversations elsewhere. 
Fair enough. I'm going to go with Charlie here just as far as I think the age is probably why I don't see the comparison as much because Jordan's a little older than when Soto really hit the scene. I think well, he was 20 in 2019. Um, so I think that's really the only difference to me. They're both great ball players. I think if Jordan keeps hitting like this, he could be a face, you know, a baseball kind of player, especially if the Astros keep being good, which I expect them to be. Uh, we'll see, you know, and, and going full circle on the, you know, the front office thing about the Astros having the worst one in baseball. You mean the same front office that helped sign Jordan to a six year, $115 million contract? Is it that, that wasn't click that really got that done? That was Jim Crane that made that decision. So I don't know. The future is bright for Jordan. I, I think he's playing a better left field now. I think that'll help him, too, to be more the face of baseball if he's not DHing as much. If you see him out throwing guys out in left field, making plays, I think that only that only helps his image. And uh, I see great things for Jordan. We know it with Jordan. It's just about health for him. He's just got to stay healthy. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, I don't think it's about being the new it player. Uh, but I, I definitely think I, I want to echo one of the comments here that uh, I think Professor Rufus, uh, look at this, Professor Rufus, we've got a professor listening and it must be legit. Says Jordan as the new David Ortiz would be more apropos because I think our aspirations and what we project out for Jordan is higher than just being Juan Soto. Juan Soto, a great story, uh, you know, cocky and brash and a guy who, you know, it makes baseball more interesting from a, a, a youth standpoint. I uh, doesn't believe in all of those unwritten rules. David Ortiz is the, the common parallel we saw draw. And I want to know if you guys had a chance to, uh, yeah, but Poppy spoke English and with verve and then had that, this is our bleeping town and the yeah. horrific aftermath of the, the, the marathon bombing and stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, if Jordan has interest in any of that type of stuff, but he really has no need to or reason to. And and there are no faces of baseball. Mike Trout was the best player basically year in, year out for the better part of a decade, but because he's a bland personality and baseball really has never figured out, and maybe it can't figure out just the structure of the sport, how to market individual stars. Jeter was a unique phenomenon because he was a Yankee with all their winning. But I don't think Derek Jeter was popular five cents on the dollar to the way say Michael Jordan was or Peyton Manning, at least as a brand was a much bigger deal. I mean, Gene's doing more national commercials now than he was during his peak playing career, uh, days with the Yankees. I think uh, Marty says, no, he's not that much of a showboat, much better than Soto. Glenn says only Joe Buck knows if you're on as the next Soto. Well done, Glenn. And then Harley David says Soto is more cocky. You're on more reserved, but as dangerous our friend, the professor says best left-handed hitter in the game, uh, better than Bryce Harper. I said it. Roy L says Jordan has decent arm also. And then there's a, a bot that keeps spamming hot girls for you. And I don't think that's in no, response that's for me, to, Brandon. Oh, is that okay? That's for you. That's, that's the other bottom line question for the day. Um, Josh, you had some housekeeping notes that I meant to get to at the beginning of the show. Could you uh, bless us with those housekeeping notes right now? <laughs> yeah, let me pull this up right here. All right, guys, as of today and for a while now, we've, we're on Apple, Audio Boom, Google, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, obviously YouTube. You're catching us here right now. So please uh, subscribe to the podcast, guys. Just uh, search Stone Cold Strohs wherever you get your podcasts. 
Uh, if we're not on your preferred, uh, preferred platform, let us know. Drop a comment. We will try and get on there. Uh, like I said, please subscribe. Please like the videos on YouTube. It would be amazing if you gave us a positive review as well. And uh, there's literally thousands of other options. So we thank you for checking out some Astros talk each week with us. We really appreciate it. So um, anyway, like we said, uh, we try to answer all the questions at the end like we just did. And a little note, uh, merch is coming. It is is on the horizon. So uh, everybody get ready for that. Keep your eyes out for that. Thank you, Josh. So uh, for Charlie, Josh, thank you so much. Thank you to all the commenters. Thank you so much. We, we will see you next week at the regular time, regular day of Monday, 3 p.m. We appreciate you guys uh, coming along with us for the Tuesday, a regular showing. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. Uh, appreciate it. We will see you next week here on Stone Cold Strohs. Go Astros. Only six weeks to spring training.